we're going to have the rest of our reading. So we're still on page 952. If you're in the Church Bibles, um, we're going to pick it up from 1 Corinthians verse 10. says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptised none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptised in my name. I did baptise also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But to preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not they would have not they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of men imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, do keep that open. We're going to be looking at that together. There's an awful lot going on there, so we won't touch on everything. But there will be a question time at the end. So if you have any questions or comments, either about what I've said or about anything else um, um, from uh, the passage, then by all means, make a note of that, and I'll let you know when that time comes. There's also an outline of where we're going in your service sheets, so do use that if that helps you to concentrate. Uh, And before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who does not change, that you are truthful, good, and rightly sovereign over us. And we pray, please, therefore, that we would vindicate uh, who you are in our response to your word. Help us to listen carefully, to trust, and to obey your voice. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Should Christians make divisions. I mean, it doesn't sound right, does it? Christians are supposed to be the sort of people that don't create divisions, aren't they? Well, there are a number of divisions that were being made by Christians in our passage this morning. There are divisions between which Christian leader people follow. Some people were saying, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. And that was to be a division that Paul would call out. So that is not to be a division that's to be found among the Christian community. Yet, a little later, he makes a division between God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. There's also a division between the spiritual person and the natural person. And these are divisions that Paul makes and insists on making if his hearers are to live consistent Christian lives 
and not to make the wrong kind of divisions. And so the idea that Christians are to create no divisions isn't right. Actually, what we have to engage with is learning to make the right kind of divisions. We need to learn to make the right kind of judgments. That is, we need to learn discernment. Now, the letter itself begins with a number of reports that Paul has heard about the church in Corinth. Now, there are others that we'll get to in subsequent weeks, but the first report came from Chloe's household. and It's there in chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. So there are these divisions among the Christians. But notice that it was a very particular division that was happening. It seems that people within the church were themselves saying, I follow this person, or I'm a follower of that person. And this is at the exclusion to the others. Because if you're following this person, then by implication, you're not following that person. Now, there's nothing to indicate that the leaders themselves were fostering this kind of division. There's nothing to suggest that Apollos or Paul or Cephas were themselves trying to make a name for themselves and gather up followers. Rather, this was actually coming from the members of the church. They are making faulty, the, the wrong kind of judgments in choosing to prefer one over and above another. Now, one thing that we need to keep in mind as we go through this whole letter is that in all of this, Paul has a very special place as an apostle. And therefore, there is always a risk in preferring someone over somebody else. So, and therefore, that there's always a risk in preferring someone over somebody else that actually Paul will end up sidelined. And that won't do because Paul was appointed by God as the apostle to the Gentiles. So do have that in the back of your mind, that with Paul there is always more at stake. It's not simply divisions, the wrong kind of divisions being made, but divisions which will ultimately be catastrophic if they lead to the exclusion of Paul. Because they rely on Paul. We rely on Paul as the one whom God has appointed to bring his message of salvation to us. The other thing that's worth saying at this point is that we need to be alert, that we need to be alert to is that division in question here is not addressing all kinds of divisions within the church. <clears throat> so this is not addressing divisions caused, say, by the ego of a church leader, or divisions caused by false teaching. Other passages will address those things, 
This is quite specific. <clears throat> and we can't make this passage walk on all fours, or walk on all fours, as if it were everything that's to be said about divisions. This is a particular division where members are making these divisions between leaders, preferring one over another, and at risk of excluding Paul. Well, why are the Corinthians making these divisions over leaders? What Paul goes on to say helps us to see why. It helps explain why these false divisions, or what these false divisions, are stemming from. Because Paul goes on to make a division between two types of wisdom. There is the wisdom of the world, as he calls it, and there's the wisdom of God. And Paul shows the division in terms of the place that they have for the crucified Messiah. Central to the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. Jesus' death and resurrection are of first importance in sharing God's perspective on the world. They come as the fulfilment of God's plan for the world and signal the beginning of God's new creation. Whereas the wisdom of the world, that has no place for the crucified Messiah. Human systems of thinking don't have that. The cross of Christ isn't a central feature. It not only doesn't feature, but it is rejected. Now it's worth noting that God's wisdom existed before the creation of the world. His wisdom existed before he made anything, when he planned the world and planned redemption. Whereas what Paul is calling the wisdom of the world, well that has its origins back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve made a bid for thinking independently from God doubting God's wisdom and listening to the wisdom of the serpent. So although we could say that Paul is creating this division between these two types of wisdom, he's not really creating them as if they weren't there before, but rather he's showing us what was already there. And what began in Genesis 3 may have become more sophisticated and diverse, and whole systems of thinking have developed over time, but they're all essentially in the same category. In other words, what we're thinking about with the wisdom of the world is essentially godless systems of thought. Now, as the book unfolds, we will look at one example of this, which was prevalent in Corinth, that of Gnosticism. But for the moment, Paul isn't making distinctions between the different types of human wisdom. He's just saying that it is one all-inclusive category that stands in opposition to the wisdom of God. That is to say that God's wisdom is seeing the the world the way God sees it, whereas worldly wisdom is seeing the world fallen humanity sees it, independently of God. 
So that the distinction being made between worldly and godly is not physical, spiritual. It's not that distinction. It's about the distinction from seeing things from God's perspective or seeing things from a godless perspective or fallen humanity perspective. And that's why they are antithetical. That's why they're opposed to each other. Human wisdom thinks God's wisdom is folly, whereas God thinks human wisdom is folly. Now, what seems to be the case in Corinth is that these Christians do not have this distinction clear in their own minds. That they're being inconsistent. That they've adopted some of the wisdom of the world. They've been influenced by some of the thinking of the day in Corinth. And it's that that's leading them to make the wrong kind of judgments. Valuing Apollos over Paul and so on. Now, this division between the two types of wisdom is being manifested in the world because of the work of God's Spirit. See, we might expect God and his wisdom and fallen humanity and their wisdom. And actually, we just got two different things, a division between God and humanity. But what Paul goes on to say is that God's wisdom has been revealed to humanity by God's Spirit. And the argument's quite clear. Let's pick it up from verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So God's spirit knows God's mind. And God's spirit reveals to those who have the spirit what God's wisdom is. A Christian knows the central place of the cross of Christ precisely because it's been revealed to him or her by the Spirit. And that's the distinction between the spiritual man and the natural man, as Paul uses the terms. The spiritual person is the person who has received the Spirit and therefore who has God's wisdom. Whereas the natural man hasn't received the spirit and therefore doesn't have God's wisdom. Now, this in itself has considerable explanatory power. It explains why this division exists in the world between those who share God's wisdom and those who are unable to because they do not have the spirit of God. But if you look at the end of the chapter, you can see where Paul is wanting to go with this. Have a look at verse 15 and 16. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
God's wisdom cannot be judged by anyone. Because that would be to make judgments about God. So how much less can God's wisdom be judged by the wisdom of the world? Worldly wisdom is in no position to judge God's wisdom. And this is a peculiar thing. Like all of us have the wisdom of the world. And when we become a Christian, we receive God's wisdom. The challenge then is to grow in our understanding of God's wisdom and to live consistently with it. To put off wrong thinking and to put on right thinking. But the person who does not yet have the Spirit doesn't have God's wisdom and they're in no position to judge the spiritual person. Paul refuses to be evaluated on the basis of the wisdom of the world. And so he wants the Corinthians to increasingly share God's wisdom, to stop making the wrong judgments of who they follow, and therefore to make the right kind of judgments. Well, we began by asking, should Christians create divisions? And what we've seen is that there's wrong divisions to make and right divisions to make. And therefore, we want to make the right kind of divisions. And what Paul has done is set up for us a framework to help us to make the right kind of judgments. And it begins by making this division between God's wisdom and worldly wisdom. And actually what we're to do is to be wholehearted in the pursuit of God's wisdom, to be rewired, to think God's thoughts after him that will lead to living consistent lives for him. Now that in itself, that in itself is profound. It's not what we're taught in schools. In schools we're taught there's a whole pantheon of systems of thought. There's atheism. Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam. That's how it's presented to us. But the Christian perspective is very different. There is this division into two. God's wisdom and everything else. Human wisdom. God's wisdom, central to which is the crucified Christ. And ultimately, this matters. Because sorting that out, getting that straight in our minds, sorts out everything else, including how you think about Christian leaders. It's a division that creates the kind of unity that God wants. But God's wisdom is not only right and true, it is also his power. For God's wisdom reveals how he is going to redeem fallen humanity. The message of the cross of Christ is the message of how we can be reconciled to God. How Jesus would come and die in the place of his people and take their punishment they deserve 
and bring forgiveness. Paul argues it's precisely this message that led to their salvation. Paul is arguing not just for a system of thought, but for the power of God to save all those who believe. Let me pray and then I'll open up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the clarity in which he um, is able to see uh, uh, the situation. We thank you for this division he makes between your wisdom and the wisdom of the world. And that that is instructive on helping Christians to uh, think rightly and therefore to live consistent Christian lives. And we thank you that how um, your wisdom is available to us uh, because of your spirit. We thank you for the gracious work of, of him to reveal to us your wisdom. Not only that we would see the world the way you see it, but also um, be in a position to understand your plan of redemption and be participants in it um, as we believe and are saved by your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is your moment if you would like to make a comment or ask a question. Nikki. Exactly. Um, uh, sorry, I don't know, yeah, do you want to repeat, I'll repeat it for the recording? Um, so Nikki said in verse 15, which says, The spirit, spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, and is the reason, or the reason is because the spiritual person has the wisdom of God, and therefore uh, the wisdom of God can't be judged because it's God's wisdom. Yes, yeah, so I think verse 16 is um, Paul makes an appeal to Isaiah um, 40, verse 13, when he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So I think that's getting the idea that you mentioned is the fact that no one's in a position to instruct God. So it's not like you've got God and then you know someone sits over God and goes, Oh, I'm going to evaluate or make judgments about what God thinks, what's in his mind, because the, the configuration is God's wisdom stands above and beyond human wisdom, and therefore we're in no position to, to make judgments on that. So I think that's what 
he's doing. And I think that's what's going on. You know, when they're saying, I follow this person, I follow this person, the reason they're doing that is that they're making judgments based on human values. We'll see a bit more about that next week. But basically, they're making judgments based on the wisdom of the world. Um, and ultimately, Paul risks being sidelined. And he's just saying, actually, if you don't have God's wisdom, you're in no position to make judgments about God's wisdom because it's not been revealed to you and therefore you don't know. Is that okay? It's a funny verse because I think that one is, I think out of context, it's been taken to mean, you know, you can't touch me. You know, basically the Christian, you know, no one can make any judgments about the Christian. He clearly can't mean that because he's making judgments about the Corinthians and saying you need to stop the, the divisions that you're having among the leaders. So obviously um, there's still a place of calling out immaturity in Christian behaviour and calling for maturity, but the principle is, is that um, this idea that um, worldly wisdom is in no position to make judgments about the wisdom of God. Yes, Susie. Okay, yes. Yes. So you think verse 16 starts by who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him. So we think, well, no one's understood the mind of the Lord. But then it says, but we have the mind of Christ. So hang on, which is it? Do we know God's mind or do we not? Yes. So I think there's two things slightly different going on because the last part, we have the mind of Christ. That's getting at the idea that the Spirit has revealed to us the mind of Christ so that actually the Spirit has revealed God's wisdom to the spiritual person, to those who have the Spirit. So, I mean, it's an incredibly privileged position because actually by having the Spirit, God's wisdom has been revealed and therefore we're in a position to see the world from God's perspective and see the central place of the cross of Christ and the redemption that it brings. But I think the previous bit in verse 16 is getting at this idea is who can evaluate God's wisdom. Um, and it's one thing, well, here's the thing, isn't it? It's quite one thing to be a human, a fallen human, and have the Spirit graciously reveal God's wisdom. And so therefore I'm dependent on the Spirit to understand God's wisdom. That's very different 
to then having a position where you think, I'm actually going to evaluate God's wisdom and actually make judgments about it, because then that's kind of sitting over it. And that's where Paul makes it sound ridiculous, because it's basically saying, oh, are you, are you in a position to instruct God? You know, can you evaluate his mind and what he says? And so that's kind of that's ruled out. So I think that's what's, that's, what's, that's what's going on. And obviously it's crucial for Paul because the Corinthians are at risk of ruling out Paul. Um, and that's going to be disastrous because they rely on Paul for their understanding of the, of the gospel. And so, yeah, so he's encouraging them to, um, to realise that the Spirit has revealed to them God's wisdom and that's where they need to um, put their thoughts rather than risk actually being influenced by worldly wisdom which then will actually make out Paul to be a bit of a, you know, dismiss him. Does that kind of make sense? Cool. Time for more? Okay, so when he says in verse chapter 1, verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are we baptized in the name of Paul? <clears throat> is that, you're saying, is that anticipating Paul's death? Okay, yeah, I don't think that's, <clears throat> as far as I've understood it, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he's just making the point that. Um, it's kind of rhetorical, and Paul's happy to do that. So, is Christ divided? He's not. Uh, was Paul crucified for you? No. And so, he's trying to undermine the fact that they're making these divisions within the church, which betrays who they are. Because if they all follow Christ, well, it's interesting because also you could go back to, you know, it says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ. 
Um, the commentator makes an interesting point because it says, like, I'm sure they would all say they follow Christ. And so why does it say, I follow Christ? And so they suggest, actually, again, that could have been part of Paul's um, rhetoric in saying, actually, he's just making a mockery of their divisions because no one's actually saying, I follow Christ. They're saying, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow um, uh, Apollos. But he's actually saying, well, no, no, don't we all follow Christ? He's not divided. He was the one that was crucified for us. And therefore, you can, you can begin to see how the wisdom of God, which central to which is the fact that Christ was crucified for us, actually impacts the relationships in the church and how they think about the church leaders. Because if they start preferring one over and above another, that's leading to a division which is counter to the one Christ who they follow. Um, you've got a nice little link back to verse 2 as well, where it talks about uh, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. It's only one Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the, the head of the one body. So I think, I think that's what's going on. Cool. All right, we'll leave it there.